Hello, everyone. Today, we're starting the Plantex podcast series, and we're starting with coloring. We're going to dive into the basics of food coloring with our technical director, Daniel Tomei, and our color specialist, Matthew Standen. Natural colors are uh, <clears throat> additives that are derived from a natural source. So it could be mineral, uh, plant, vegetable, animal. Um, just it, the starting material is, is a natural source as opposed to a synthetic source, like you might expect with tartrazine, which is an aso dye. So it's made synthetically, mm-hmm. like petroleum. Can you tell me what are colouring food stuff? What's it? What are they? So colouring food stuff is different to a natural colour. Mm-hmm. It's um, a ingredient. It's the way it's processed. Mm-hmm. So colouring food stuff isn't selectively extracted like a natural colour. Okay. Um, it's from what's classed as kitchen methods. So it's crushing, pressing, and concentration from uh, ingredients such as beetroots. Is it the same thing that you were explaining earlier about the paprika, the called pressed yeah, one? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so typically, color additives are extracted using solvents mm-hmm. or special processes that that highly extract and concentrate just the pigments, just the the molecules that are responsible for coloring, mm-hmm. for the color that's provided. They selective extraction leaves behind uh, components of the original starting material, like the flavor or the smell, or the nutritive sort of qualities, you are only extracting out of that crude material pigment. Yes. And, and that gives you a highly concentrated colour. But if natural colours are coming from fruit and vegetables, and colouring food stuff are in sale, yeah. it's so the what's process, the It's the process. It's That's the only difference. It's the selective way extraction. So selective extraction is natural colours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and natural colour can be selectively extracted. So then it's more orangey paprika that's natural colour, the cold compressed one would be a colouring food stuff. Yeah, so what you're getting is E160C paprika Mm -hmm. is selectively extracted using solvents like butane and hexane and that just strips out the pigment Mm -hmm. from the capsicum. So you've got a a really strong, highly concentrated solution of the pigment. When we cold press paprika to make the colouring food stuff, we just squash, we squeeze out all of the oil from the pods, and everything that comes out as a result of that process is collected and used. So yes, there will be pigment in there that will create an orange colour, but there will also be other typical constituents of paprika in there, so there will be some capsicum, for example. there will be other aromatics that come out of that extraction, mm-hmm. um, and that is what, and that's a non-selective extraction. Okay. So that is just taking everything. So a curry food stuff is going to have some flavour. Mm-hmm. It's going to have more aroma, okay. um, and it's and it might not be as intense as the the natural colour equivalent. Okay. Uh, and what are E numbers? So, natural colours are green numbers, essentially. Okay, so all natural colours are No, because your synthetic colours are also E numbers as well. Yeah. Um, e number was kind of developed the European way of labelling a colour. Okay, so, and colouring stuff be E numbers? No, so no. E numbers are used essentially to keep 
a track and record of any ingredients, any additives that are put into any foodstuffs. Okay. So not just a colour will have a E number, something like uh, ethanol, which we use in our flavours, that has an E number. Um, glycerin has an E number. Like, like, it's, it is really it's a big database um, of ingredients used in the food industry. And uh, in which cases should these be preferred? I mean, is it just uh, a question of cost? Because I know that the coloring process, I think they cost the most since uh, the chemical is brewed and the process. But like, is it just a question of cost when like, the customer is the customer choosing the color? Um, no. Okay. So there will be a few things that you'll take into consideration. One is the process. So if you've got a, um, if your application is very high heat, very acidic, you may not be able to use certain colouring foods because they would be stable. Um, then it could be the other reasons that you might choose to between these options is labelling. So if you want a really nice clean label at the back of your pack, you would go for colouring foods. That's those those colouring foodstuffs are labelled as ingredients like sugar mm -hmm. um, or flour or anything like that at the back of the pack. A colour additive, mm -hmm. that will be labelled with an E number. Well, it doesn't have to have an E number, but it definitely has to be prefixed by the word colour. Okay. Um, so you can you can use colour colon paprika, or you can have colour colon E160C. Um, and then right back down to the other end is your artificial colours, which are very cheap, um, they have high colouring potency, um, and you use them in, in very low dosages, and they don't really, you know, but the label on the back is very um, undesirable. It's an undesirable label. When you, so, so particularly the Southampton 6, which were six artificial colours that were linked in the study to causing sort of uh, problems in children. So things, you know. And do you think like in the future we'd have like a range of colouring foodstuffs that would actually be uh, stable in all situations? Um, potentially. Yeah, potentially. Because we're always discovering new and different ingredients to use, okay. um, which have different properties depending on the application they want to be used in. So yes, potentially there, there may be a case for that. What was the last colouring food stuff that has proven to be stable that didn't used to be? Uh, probably something like that butterfly pea extract. That was something about same thing again. Butterfly pea. Butterfly pea. Okay. Yeah, it's a stable blue colour, uh, heat stable um, to replace uh, spirulina. Mm -hmm. Spirulina is uh, not heat stable or um, in its very. And can that be plant based? The butterfly pea. Yeah, yes, from a yeah, so it's plant based. Yeah, it's from a it's a petal from the plant. Okay, so it's not from butterfly. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking. Pulling the wings off yeah. the butterfly. That's what I was actually thinking. Does the spray drying impact the colours? Uh, in terms of what? Terms I mean, of does powder. it change stability? Does it change yeah. its strength? So, so you spray turn a liquid into a powder. Yeah, which is the main. The yeah. Main idea behind but the spray what drink. does it change else? So, so what, what spraying does is it evaporates water away and, it, and it so by that effect it would have a concentrating effect so you know if you evaporate all the water and don't replace it with anything you concentrate it down yeah. however to be honest what we do is we evaporate the water and replace it with a carrier like mulch dextrin okay. 
Um, so no, it, I wouldn't say it changes the colour at all. What I would say it does is it increases its stability and shelf life. So a liquid spirulina concentrate has to be kept refrigerated. Probably has six to nine month shelf life depending on the preservatives that are, that are in it. Okay. A spray dried spirulina powder is going to have a shelf life of twelve to twenty four months and will be able to be kept ambient. So the main reason for that is that we've it, we've taken all the water out, out of that product and made made it more microbiologically stable. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that's other than um, other than that, the main reasons are application. So. You know, if you're making a beverage and the beverage is comprised of 95% liquids, it doesn't make sense to be adding a powder into that, um, and vice versa. So, into sports nutrition, which is primarily powder blends, mm-hmm. you would be spray drying your colour into a powder to then incorporate into a powder blend. Uh, is, are synthetic colours still used? Like, how widely? So, firstly, they're, they're more commonly, they're not commonly used within Europe. Okay. So what you what you find is that they are still being used outside of Europe. So where they come into their own is in you're very hot countries. Them. You're not using them locally. Anymore. We don't. No, I mean we would suggest artificial colours in a very select number of cases. Primarily, if you're looking for a baked stable bright blue colour. Um, are they illegal or are they just not preferred? They're not illegal, but they have special labelling. So, if, well, if you're using one of the Southampton Six, they have special labelling. Which, if you're using something like Tartrazine, mm-hmm. you have to mention on the packet that it can cause adverse reactions in children. Um, so that obviously has a massive yeah. negative connotation, especially if you're putting it into something like a confectionery sweet yeah. or something like that, like which is probably aimed at being given to children. It's it doesn't really make scary. much sense. Yeah. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new. To know more about the products we offer, visit our website www.plantex.com and follow our LinkedIn page, Plantex Ingredients. All of these links and more will be in the description of this episode. See you in the next one. Bye-bye.